Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. I am so excited to share today's guest with you. I got the opportunity to chat with Stephanie DeLucy, who is a dual certified special education teacher, master IEP coach, and teacher mentor. Stephanie is the founder of The Intentional IEP, and I feel like I got to have my own personal IEP Q&A. I kind of just went all over the place, guys, and asked her, all the questions that I wanted her opinion on when it comes to writing IEPs. Stephanie truly understands the process from start to finish and has some really great actionable strategies on how to make this process more streamlined and less overwhelming. I can't wait for you to hear all of her tips. Stephanie will be joining us at the Autism Connection Conference on March 12th. If you haven't signed up yet, you've got to sign up. Early bird pricing is ending soon. The lineup of speakers is so phenomenal. I am just personally very excited myself to learn from everyone. And Stephanie will be joining us, sharing even more on IEPs. So if this has really kind of piqued your interest, there's more to come. But without further ado, let's jump into our interview with Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited to talk IEPs. Who, yes. who says that besides besides Stephanie? Who says that? <laughs> I just talk IEPs. <laughs> Um, why, why do you think IEPs get such a bad rap? <laughs> it's so much paperwork. And on top of all the other duties that teachers have, especially right now, it's just, we just aren't given enough time to do them in the day and yeah. they're not really fun. Like it's a lot of paperwork. I enjoy it. I am not 
I am not in that crowd of people that don't like to write IEPs, but I understand why people don't like it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's the time. Like if everyone yeah. had Fridays off to work on IEPs, everyone would love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> all right. Like, so let's get into it. When sitting down for that annual review and you're like, all right, I've got to get this student's annual done. I have this much time or whatever. That feeling of being instantly overwhelmed, I think is kind of universal, right? Like, yes. oh my gosh, what am I going to do first? What's your advice on kind of where to start and how to overcome like feeling overwhelmed here? Sure. So I have two, this is kind of twofold for me, and this is how I write IEPs and have written IEPs in the past. So the first thing is I follow my IEP writing timeline, which I kind of devised myself. Um, so I start writing IEPs anywhere from 30 to 45 days before the annual IEP is even starting. So we do that anyway when we're scheduling the IEP meeting, we're sending out those input forms, the questionnaires, I call them input forms, to the other teachers on the team, to the parents, if we're doing them with students. Um, but I typically start that far out in advance. That way I can also send home a draft IEP to the family. Um, so when I say family, that could mean the family, the parent, the caregiver, the guardian, whoever is the caregiver for the child. So I'll use the term family loosely. Um, so it gives the, t the family time to look over that proposed draft. And the proposed draft is only going to have the present levels, which I'll get to in a second, and will only have the IEP goals. There's not going to be anything else in that IEP except for those two things. And it gives the family time to really read those and look over them, think about what questions or concerns they have, and then bring that to the IEP team so they're not blindsided, um, which I found is really important, not only in building rapport with the family, but also just making them feel like part of the whole process. Yes. And I think so many times parents don't even know they're supposed to get a draft. Yeah. And I know a lot of schools, a lot of teachers from different school districts, it's so, it's so crazy how different it is from school to school, even state to state. Some schools don't even let the teacher send drafts. And I'm like, okay, well, let's change that. How, <laughs> what is admin said to you? Like, how can we word this to admin and show them that it's a good thing? It's not predetermination of services. Um, so yeah, it's, it's so weird. It's so different from just everywhere. Yeah. Okay. I like that idea of 30 to 45 days and like yes. really getting it on your radar ahead of time and like yes. not being down to the wire. Yes. And I know for, for some teachers and I've been the teacher who in my first couple of years, you know, wrote the IEP like a day or two before the IEP meeting, um, because we're not really taught this IEP writing timeline, right? I kind of had to experience it on my own and figure it out on my own to come up with it, with this system for myself to help myself feel less overwhelmed. Um, but why I recommend doing this is because when it comes to actually writing the IEP, um, and that's why when you're like, where do you recommend teachers start? I'm like, man, there's so many places. <laughs> so when you actually start, when you start with the whole process itself, I recommend following the IEP writing timeline. But when it comes to actual, the actual IEP itself, you want to start with the present levels first, because your present levels are going to have all of your baseline data. It's going to have all your evaluation data, all your input, um, from the questionnaires and input forms that you sent out to the family. You're going to have parent concerns in there. You're going to have all the things are going to be in that present level. It's your meat and potatoes of the IEP. That is going to lead you into choosing IEP goals and writing those IEP goals. And then from there, you're going to choose your supports and services. So your accommodations, modifications, all of those things in that supports and services section of the IEP are chosen based off of what IEP goals you've written for that child. 
And then the last thing you're going to discuss at the IEP meeting is the LRE. Um, that should be the very, very last topic of discussion at any IEP meeting. What is the, the setting that we're going to put this student in? I like how you explained that flow, how it like logically makes sense and connects yeah. it. Because even if you've been in the field for a while and you understand how it's all connected, we tend to like compartmentalize things in our head and we're like, okay, I'm going to get these goals done. I'm going to get this done. But yep. like, getting back to like how it works together. Yeah. And connecting the present levels and the goals. What what advice do you have there on on that next step? And like, obviously, we're going to use our assessments and our, our present levels and our baseline data for that. Sometimes that's hard to know where that next goal's at. You know what I mean? Yes, it is. Um, oh man, this is this could be a whole podcast episode. <laughs> I know, <on> right? <laughs> Big question. <laughs> yes. So when it comes to so let's say a student was working on one-to-one correspondence. Um, and you're like, okay, they mastered this goal. We have the annual IEP coming up. Where do I go next? There's so many different ways that you could go. And what my recommendation is, and this is why it's so important to talk with other team members, especially the general education teacher on your team, because they're going to be the general ed curriculum expert. They're going to know what standards need to be met. They're going to know the curriculum and how that curriculum can help that student if it can help that student or if you need a different curriculum. So the first thing, my, my first suggestion is to meet with the general education teacher on your team and kind of just discuss what are the grade level standard goals for this specific skill. So we've worked on one-to-one correspondence, but let's say the student is in third grade. One-to-one correspondence is typically what? Kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So we're a couple of grade levels behind. Maybe in third grade, we're working on multiplication. So you kind of have to take that multiplication standard and work backwards. So what skills from multiplication moving backwards are going to get you to that one-to-one correspondence? So maybe your next step is working on single digit addition. Maybe it's double digit addition, or maybe it's single digit addition with regrouping. It really depends on your student. And it really depends on, um, the, again, the grade level content. It depends on the student and it depends on where the team sees this child going long-term. So we have to think long-term, not just this school year too. Yeah, that was a really nice description in even, you didn't touch on state standards, but in Common Core, but really how to utilize those grade level standards when the student isn't at grade level. Like how do we make that connection? And tying in that gen ed teacher is is such a valuable piece. And I think sometimes, especially self-contained or life skills teachers kind of forget to reach out to their grade level peers. Yeah, it's it's really hard. And I've been, you know, the special ed teacher on the team hearing general ed teachers say, I don't need to be here. Or I've seen, you know, (laughs) Facebook groups, gen ed teachers are like, I don't know why I'm here. And they don't see the importance of their role on the IEP team. So I think it's also really important as the special education teachers and caseload managers that we are making sure our gen ed teachers see the importance of them being at the team, making them feel like the experts that they are and just getting them to be more involved with the whole process. Okay, I love that you brought this up because the whole time you were talking before, (laughs) I was thinking of how many meetings I've sat in where – and it's illegal. You know you you know this. It's not legal. Yeah. But they're like, oh, the Jenna teacher, we couldn't get a sub. So is it okay if she doesn't come? And, and they just hand a waiver to mom and dad or the caregiver to sign without yeah. really even explaining the implications of that. And it's always like, oh, 
it's, it's really, really hard. And I think, especially when the family doesn't understand also the importance of the general education teacher being there. Um, I think if they knew, I don't think anybody would sign that waiver. (laughs) Yeah. But that's a great point on like giving the gen ed teacher the why, because if they, you know, if you can build them up and, and, and have them understand their role and the value they bring, they're going to want to be there instead of being yeah. like, Ugh, why do I have to calm down for 30 minutes or whatever it is? Yeah. Why do I have to give up my planning period to go to another stupid IEP meeting? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. And it can happen. And like, you know, we all think these best case scenarios, but we know stuff like this happens every day. Yeah. Yes. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I know you read a lot of IEPs and write a lot of IEPs. What are some of like big picture, the biggest missteps you see on writing IEPs or oh my gosh. finished product? <laughs> that could be a thought. So episode too. many <laughs> things. I Okay. So I have two things that really are like the biggest things that I see. So one is copying and pasting anything <laughs> from one IEP to another, whether it's from the same child IEP, from one annual IEP year to the next, copying and pasting things. I am all for using templates. I'm all for using IEP goal banks. I am all for copying, pasting as needed, but you really have to make sure that your pronouns are correct in the present levels and in the IEP goals, that what you're copying and pasting is actually relevant to that child's IEP. Um, so making sure that like you, you don't want to have all of your students have the same exact IEP goal because then the IEP is not individualized. So just try and stay away from copying and pasting as much as possible. And then the other thing that I notice, and this is no fault to special education teachers, because I feel like when it comes to IEPs, and I've actually surveyed a lot of special education teachers None of us are really taught how to write IEPs. You know, the school districts are expecting that the colleges are teaching us and colleges are thinking, oh, the districts are going to teach you. And then yes, <laughs> it just, we get left out somewhere and we wing it and we do it because it's what we love. We love working with students and we make it happen and we show up and we truly do want what's best for our students. But so this next thing is, I just don't think that I just think that it's lack of training and it's not on the teacher's part because if more teachers knew how to do it, it would get done, but not aligning IEP goals to the family's long-term vision for the student or aligning IEP goals for what the IDEA says for further education, employment, and independent living. And that could mean um, just making those IEP goals more functional or functional, more real life for that student. So for example, maybe we're working on in first grade, we have a money goal of identifying money, identifying coins. Um, I mean, what Sasha, the last time that you went to Target, did you pay with like pennies and nickels and dimes? Yep. For my $200 order with nickels. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no I, yeah, that I am, I'm over here nodding. You can't see me, but like, oh my gosh. <laughs> 
Yes. Like if I see another high schooler with a coin identification goal, yes. I'm going to like pull my hair out. Okay. Explain why this is not a functional goal. <laughs> so you were going is, there. <laughs> it is a very important skill to learn. We have to know what money is to be able to use it. But you also have to think about, oh gosh, so this is a whole other podcast episode. But when the, <laughs> system, when the system was built for special education, it is the world has changed so much since the first authorization of the IDEA and the reauthorization in 2004 and 2006. So the world has changed so much and we don't really use, I mean, I don't ever have cash in my wallet. I use a card everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. So we have to teach our students the more functional way of using money in the real world today. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they need to know what a penny is, what a nickel is, how much they're worth and dollars and things like that. But think of it in terms of being able to pay for a service, being able to pay at a restaurant when your bill is due, being able to add up everything you purchased and making sure you have enough money. Those are more long-term functional goals for students at any age than being able to identify coins. Yeah. It's going to get them to that ultimate goal of right. buying pizza or buy, you know, buying things you want and need, which yes. is what coin identification could lead to. Yes. And, and you know, my point with like the high schooler working on it, I, I'm mostly thinking of that high schooler that's been working on this for eight years. Like yes. thinking about the learning history too and what has worked and what hasn't worked. At the start of this thing, oh, go ahead. You shouldn't have have the same IEP goal for multiple years in a row. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes, That's another one. We we could do a whole episode on missteps. Um, I like that you brought up, you know, talking to the parents on their long term goals. Yes. Because that's honestly something that really, really intimidated me as a young teacher. And I have my first year teaching, I was in a junior high classroom and I had to write transition plans. And the first IEP I wrote ever, I had to have do a transition plan. And mm-hmm. one, a consultant called me at like 8 p.m. on a Sunday night. And I was like in tears. Like, again, as you said, I didn't know how to write an IEP, much yeah. less a transition plan. And I, at 22 years old, had to look this family in the face the next morning at an IEP and being like, who's going to take care of your kids when you die? And I mm-hmm. hope I said it in a nicer way, but maybe I didn't. And they were like very taken aback, but the consultant had told me to ask these questions, which she was right. Yeah. But no one in any previous years in this child's life had talked about that, what's happening at 22. Yeah. And suddenly this new first year teacher who looked like an idiot then was the first <laughs> one doing it. And I, and I wish that other teachers had had that conversation yeah. before so it could have been always a part of the IEP. Yes. I'm a huge proponent of involving the students in their IEPs as early as possible. And that'll look different for every child. But even in elementary school, for our students that have high support needs, it might even just be letting them know that they have accommodations and what they look like and how to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many students don't even know that they have an IEP. They get to the transition age. They have to come to the IEP meeting and they're just like, meh. I don't really yeah. care. Like, <laughs> how do you start those hard conversations, especially when, when kids are young and parents yeah. are like, oh, I've got like 15 years for that. Like, I don't have to worry about it. I think that if you approach it from a way that comes, how do I want to word this? I think it's a very delicate conversation that you have to have. And it's not something that every single family that you work with is going to be receptive to. So it's very individualized 
case by case how you're going to handle it. But I think just approaching it from the mindset of at age 16, according to IDEA, and a lot of states, it's age 14. Um, at transition age, your child is going to be invited to come to this IEP meeting. And I would love to get them more involved in their IEP now. And I would love your help with this. What are you comfortable with me sharing with your child or teaching them about in terms of that they have a disability, that they have an IEP? What does that mean? How can I help you as a parent, as a caregiver, work with your child at home in learning these things and being more self-aware of those things? Because ultimately, we want your child to be independent and have those self-advocacy skills. And the earlier that we can teach them and start teaching them to the child, the better. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And kind of coming from that that perspective of, you know, self-advocacy is going self-advocacy is going eh, to look different at every age, but yeah. coming from that perspective of what can we start with now? And, yes. and I like that you point out not everyone's going to be receptive to it, but as that's continuously brought up, they may not be receptive to it in second or third grade, but maybe in fourth grade they are. Yeah. And it might be something where you have the child just make a slideshow of things that they like in class or they like in school or they their friends, who their friends are. And that might be the door that opens for the parents to be like, wow, like Stephanie really should be a part of these IEP meetings, even if it's just for a couple of minutes. And starting it before they have to be. So it's not just yes. like, oh, we're just here because you quote unquote need to be. It's we're, we're ready for it together. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. And thinking of incorporating those long-term goals and parent involvement ties so nicely in what we had said earlier in this conversation on starting this process earlier, sending home that draft, because I would anticipate you'd suggest asking some of those questions ahead of time so we're not sitting down at the IEP, like just talking about that there. Yes. Um, definitely. You're definitely preparing parents for the conversations that are going to be had at the IEP meeting. And I'm not talking about placement. I'm not talking about any services or supports or su service times. Just generally talking about here is the present levels, which are built based on data and evaluations observations and input from everyone on the team. And then those IEP goals, which are proposed IEP goals, they can be changed. They can, we can change them at any time. Um, and they're just kind of letting parents know, like, these are the conversations that we're also going to have. I would love to talk with you about X, Y, Z. Um, and I would love for you to bring your input to the IEP meeting so we can have those discussions. And it gives them time to kind of think about it too. Like there's yeah. nothing worse than feeling like you don't know what you're talking about or feeling like everyone else is in on something without you, especially when it's about your own kid. Yes. Yeah. It, I can imagine that. Actually, I can't even imagine as a parent sitting <laughs> at an IEP meeting and not having ever seen a draft and being expected to sit there and hear about the good, the bad, and the in-between about my child. Here's their plan, sign it, and have a good day. Like that yeah. just... I'm not okay with that. <laughs> there's no like, I mean, we all need processing time. Like there's no yes. processing time or like, hey, let me Google the 17 acronyms that are on yeah. this document really quick. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. 
Um, because even, even when you're in the field, there's sometimes like, you're like, oh, what did that BCBA mean by that? Or what did the OT mean by that? Let me, you know, when you're, there's so many different, um, people that are contributing to a document and with different specialties that, you know, it's, it's hard to take that all in, in one time. It is even as teachers, like I'll have teachers reach out to me and throw acronyms at me. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. I need some (laughs) clarification. What, what does that, what is that acronym stand for? Cause it's so different everywhere. It's, it's, there's so many acronyms. Oh yeah. And then like states and different districts like to make up their own acronyms. Like yes. well, people will be like, oh, I teach in the ICE room. And I'm like, what's the ICE room? Or like, you know, they like everyone has their <laughs> own little things going on. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to, you know, the multidisciplinary team, what advice do you have specifically for teachers on how to collaborate with all of the clinicians that may be on that IEP team? And I know we you know, sometimes there's, you know, the the luxury of the indirect consult minutes. But beyond that, you know, teachers don't want to be surprised when they show up and see the OT's goals either. So what advice do you have on getting that collaboration going throughout the year? Yeah, for sure. So this kind of all aligns with the IEP writing timeline. And when you're sending out those input forms, those questionnaires, you can also send those out to the OT, the PT, the speech path, the adapted PE teacher, and get their input as well. Um, when it comes to clinicians that are outside therapies, so maybe people that aren't working for the school district or for that school, you first want to make sure that you have approval from the family and have all of the signed documentation and everything for the district so that you're allowed to speak with that individual. Um, but plan with them really. So send out that input form, give them a call, um, have a quick meeting with them, write the IEP goals together, get that input and just, just really writing it together because the special education teacher is not the person who is solely responsible for the IEP. So it's really important that we're writing it as a team because the team is the one who's going to be implementing it as well. And it puts so much weight on that teacher too, to feel like responsible for that whole document. Yeah, it does. It's, it's a lot. And then, you know, it becomes sometimes everyone, well, I did my piece and I did my piece and I did my piece. And, you know, as you said, the, the, the rest is left to the teacher and it's not really that team approach anymore that's implementing it together. Yeah. And one of my favorite things actually with other people on the IEP team, whether it's the gen ed teacher or the speech path or the OT, I love tag teaming IEP goals with them. So if we're working on, let's say we have a a student, Stephanie, who is working on writing, maybe we're writing three paragraph essays on an informative topic. The OT can help with that goal. The OT doesn't have to have a completely separate goal from that. There are ways that you can weave in those outside therapies, those related services into the IEP goals, the academic and functional IEP goals that you're writing for your students. But you wouldn't otherwise know that if you didn't have a conversation with that other person. Yeah. I mean, this is just reason number 500, why you need the timeline and starting early, right? (laughs) (laughs) To get everything done. (laughs) Yes. Because when you start the night before, you don't get to have those conversations and you don't get to loop parents in and you don't get to talk about the long-term goals and all those things. And that's when, you know, the aggressive copying and pasting happens and the wrong kid's name is in the IP. (laughs) Yeah. it's I've never copy and pasted the wrong, like, name and, but I've gotten IEPs with the wrong name. And I've gotten just, IEPs with the wrong name too. So embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> and then it's hard to take the rest of that document seriously. If you're like, oh, okay. Like yeah. this part was clearly copied, but what about this part? And what about this part? And are, are these goals even reliable? Is this data mm-hmm. reliable? 
and it becomes and it's, a snowball it's thing. frustrating, especially when it's a new student, like you get them in the middle of the year and the district is like, oh, you have 10 days to write a new IEP because <laughs> we're providing comparable services. And you're like, but my student's name is Stephanie, but the IEP has Jackson <laughs> in it. Like I have, what is going on here? So it's just, it's just super frustrating all the way around. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I can't not ask this question because I have a lot of opinions on it and I'm okay. kind of dying to hear yours. This is like in a totally different direction than what we're talking about. Oh gosh, I want to okay. talk mastery criteria. And again, this is something a whole episode could be done on, but yeah, mastery criteria. So within mm-hmm. the IEP goal, I see, I see a lot of damage done here. I see a lot of like ill thought out and copying and pasting and just the same yes. mastery criteria for every goal. And to me that I like have strong opinions on that and that ruffles feathers because like, <laughs> everyone loves 80%. Like everyone yeah. just wants 80%. And I, I've, I've talked about this so much in like pre- live workshops and stuff. I'm like, if you cross the street with 80% accuracy, you are getting hit by a car. Like 80% yeah. is not the be all end all. Yeah. So what's your advice thinking and creating master criteria that is really functional and leading to a truly mastered skill, not 80%. Yeah, I'm with you on the whole 80% accuracy, but I'll be honest, like I will throw myself under the bus. I have been that teacher that wrote with 70% accuracy, with 80% accuracy and just threw a number in there. Um, I think it's, unfortunately, it's kind of like a teacher writing IEP, rite of passage. Like we all eventually do it at some point, unfortunately. Um, But I'm with you. Not every single goal is going to have that 80% accuracy. Again, you don't want to cross the street with 80% accuracy. You don't want to drive a car with 80% accuracy. You don't want to pay for a service yeah. with 80% accuracy. You're going to get arrested. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, So when it comes to the mastery criteria, when it comes to IEP goals, there's so many different ways that you can do the mastery criteria. So you can do it based on accuracy, which is again, measured in the percentage. You can do it in duration. The student's going to do X for this number of minutes. Um, you have frequency, which you can do in trials. The student's going to do X in two of three trials. It really depends. And people are going to be like, that is not any help at all, Stephanie. It really depends on the baseline data that you have in the present levels and where you want that child to get in the one year time frame and long-term how that goal aligns with the long-term goals of the family. So if you have an IEP goal. Let me think of one off the top of my head. Um, oh man, I should have wrote one down. For- oh, no, but it, it is so is the standard special ed answer. Like depends on the goal and the kid and the family. Like I, and, yeah. and that is like the standard special ed answer with a lot of things, but that, that also highlights how important it is to think about those math right. criteria. And I know it's like, feels like that last, you know, half percentage that you got to get done on the IEP goal, but it's, it's so individualized, just like the skill and just like the present levels, because it, it all ties together. It does. And it's not to say like you, you can write a goal with a percentage and it can be 80%, but you can also write an IEP goal with the accuracy criteria of 20% mm-hmm. or 30%. Um, you can write an IEP goal for a child to complete a task one out of every six times And that doesn't mean that the student is failing. That's just based on the baseline data. That's where the student can get within the year. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And it shows that you've really thought about where the student is and where you want them to go. It's not like, oh, you have low expectations. It's like, well, if you've really looked at that 
big picture and and maybe next year you want them to do it three out of six times yeah. or whatever it is. So looking at it more of a long-term process in keeping that end goal in mind. And, and that's what I always like, like I, that's what I always like when I see an IEP and I see a lot of different mastery criteria because yeah. percentage isn't going to work for everything. Prompt level is right. not going to work for everything. Duration is not going to work for everything. It really has to fit the goal. It does. And if you have, let's say you have a parent you know, at an IEP meeting and they're like, why do you only want Stephanie to be able to write her name with 20% accuracy? And you can put it in the frame of, you know, based on this baseline data, blah, blah, blah. This is why, right? Mm-hmm. But then you can also say to parents, you know, we if she masters this goal in a month or in six months, we can make an amendment and we can make the mastery criteria more. Like yeah. this is not set in stone. It can change at any time. And I think once you explain that to parents, they'll be more receptive to seeing all of those different accuracies or durations and frequencies, those different mastery criteria. Because I think I, I bet you, I'm curious now, I bet you if we ask parents, <laughs> they would probably say their expectation of mastery criteria is 80% or 90% that they need to, their child needs to be able to do a task. Yeah. Um, just because they've been kind of accustomed to also seeing that as well. And I, I'm curious, I kind of want to ask some parents now. <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I also unpopular opinion. I like a hundred percent accuracy sometimes and people like yes. lose their mind at that. And they're like human error. There's human error. I'm like, I know I'm not asking them to do it for the rest of their life, but right. seeing 100% accuracy across five opportunities or 10 trials, like I, as a reader can identify letters with 100% accuracy on mm-hmm. 10 trials. Yeah. Do I once in a while in life misread a word or misidentify a letter if I haven't slept or whatever? Of course, but I don't have to do it forever. I have to do it for a, a set time period right. to demonstrate mastery. And there are some skills that need to be 100% mastery, yes. like identifying letters and knowing sounds and identifying numbers and knowing how to add numbers. Like those are all things that Students have to know to be and able it makes to function people in life. Super uncomfortable, one hundred percent. No one, well, no everyone's like, ooh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> good things come from being uncomfortable sometimes. True. <laughs> oh my gosh, Stephanie, I feel like there was like so much I still want to cover, but you got through so much, and I really appreciate how you kind of broke down a lot of things that seem overwhelming and helped make it make sense on why this all works together and giving some practical even like organization tips on this whole timeline for accomplishing everything we want on the IEP. Um, so thank you so much. Yes. I'm so happy to share my IEP knowledge and my IEP love with everyone, even though um, I know not everyone's going to love writing IEPs. I'm completely okay with that. I will be that person and cheer all of you on anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a lot of ways that people can take their IEP knowledge to the next level. So where can people go to learn more from you and learn more about IEPs? Yes. So if you want to strictly learn about IEPs, you can find me over at theintentionaliep.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram under the intentional IEP. And then if you're looking for like implementation tips and resources and things like that, you can find me at mrsdscorner.com. And then all the same things, Mrs. D's Corner on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and all those things. Great. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Sasha. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. 
Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.